Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around. And hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back to Race Theory and happy holidays. I hope y'all had a great Christmas full of fun memories and yummy treats and lots of family and friends. And we are headed into the new year. So happy new year. That's coming up this weekend. And when we think about New Year, that's what this episode's going to be about is resolutions, goal setting, what we'd like to accomplish. And almost always we think about health goals. One of the first things that comes to mind of a New Year's resolution is losing weight or getting healthy. And especially after we've gotten all fat and happy over Christmas and the extra merriment and drinking of New Year's. But I would like to come in as a certified independent health and wellness coach and talk a little bit about my New Year's resolutions as well as Derek's. And we're going to kind of focus this episode on health, both from a racing perspective, history now, and how this can be uh, beneficial in all aspects of business. So first off, I want to share my resolutions, and we are very anxious to hear from our listeners what their resolutions are as well, so please leave us a comment on that. So first and foremost, being a health coach, I want to continue on my health journey. I want to make sure that I am leading my clients and coaches by not only talking the talk, but walking the walk. And so staying on plan and making sure that if I do have choice meals or or choice days that I get right back um, on a healthy uh, line of eating and want to keep drinking to a minimum. That was something that I always struggled with in the past. I uh, want to make sure that every day I wake up with an attitude of gratitude. It's really been beneficial to journal every day, things that I'm grateful for, blessings that I have, just makes the whole day start off better. Also want to make sure that I'm adding a lot of value on social media for listeners and for my clients as well, both from an inspirational standpoint as well as a health standpoint. And then I have some uh, spiritual goals as well. want to make sure that I am, this is my personal goal as a Christian. I want to read from the Bible every day. I want to share something. Uh, from that with my children and uh, with my husband, and just make sure that we're incorporating that into our daily lives. So that's pretty much my resolutions. Uh, what are yours, Derek? I don't really make New Year's resolutions normally. I just really never have. I've always known what was before me and what I had to do. And um, but I think if I was always looking at my weight a little bit. So now with your homemade cinnamon rolls, I'm definitely <laughs> trying to get those through the system and see where if I can ma maintain my goal of keeping my weight uh, decent here because I'm not as active as I typically was. So, you know, I'm sitting around more, I'm doing more things uh, sitting down. So I've got to keep an eye on that. But for the most part, I think really is for me to find, you know, I guess, focus on enjoying my life uh, in a little bit more of a subdued, you know, role. I'm still racing with Nitro and getting to go to the races, but not on a uh, 36 weekend, you know, 
up at the crack of dawn, you know, and the last guy to leave kind of affair. So just trying to enjoy my life a little more and to find, you know, peace with that. Yes, definitely. And of course, when you were driving uh, full time, a lot of times you didn't even really have to watch what you ate per se, as far as like you know, carbs and calories because you would lose weight just working. Um, and you know, the amount of, of sweat that you would, um, lose during the race, you could come out of that race car seven to 11 pounds down. I remember being very, um, shocked by that. So it is a different lifestyle for you, much less active. And so, um, and getting older, of course, uh, we have to watch, uh, our, our health and and our our diet as far as what we eat a lot more closer than what we used to. And I know for a, a long time um I did uh, keto and low carb. I was actually a weight loss consultant for that and able to stay, you know, relatively thin for, you know, the last 15 years, but um as you as you get older, your body metabolizes fat totally differently and so that high fat lifestyle no longer serves me well. And I was actually getting um high cholesterol and high triglycerides. So on the health plan that I coach, I've been able to um get off of blood pressure meds totally and um, not take cholesterol meds. And, and those numbers have gone down dramatically. So it's amazing to me how, you know, obesity is such a, um, a prevalent thing in America now. We've, we've tripled our levels of obesity in this country and especially childhood obesity. And it just breaks my heart to see how many overweight children that we have. And overweight children turn into overweight adults. And once you have been overweight for a long period of time, high blood pressure and diabetes too are just right around the corner. So, so many things can be prevented and meds can be prevented by just losing the weight. So I know we're, um, you know, you're very good about following the health plan that I coach when you want to lose the weight. And um, yeah, we, we enjoyed ourselves over Christmas. And like I tell my health clients, yeah, you know, enjoy those family treats and enjoy those times and say, it was worth it. But when you step on that scale the next day and it's a little bit painful, you know, that's the, uh, that's the check-in and, you know, trying to make sure that you don't go over, I always say, you know, don't go over seven pounds from your healthy BMI because that's a, that's a pant size and you'll notice it, you know, pants get a lot tighter when you are up seven pounds and above. So anyway, I know that, um, we have talked in the past about, um, race car drivers in the past versus today. And that's one thing that we were going to touch on. I think our listeners will, will find this interesting. So when you think of health and fitness, the NASCAR drivers in the 80s and 90s in the heyday of NASCAR, you certainly don't think of them as the picture of health or who you would emulate as far as being, you know, a healthy athlete. And that has changed um, from then to now where, you know, drivers uh, today have a lot more things at their disposal. And I'll let Derek go into a little bit of what he's witnessed here. Um, but, you know, kind of take us into those stories too of, you know, there was, you know, the time when race car drivers, especially NASCAR, they were known as the smokers and drinkers and, you know, always, uh, you know, the party animals. So that was the culture back then. And maybe take us from then to now. Well, I don't know about party animals because they really were working, you know, during the day with a, at a job, you know, and then working on their cars at night if they weren't doing it, you know, or following the Grand National Tour. But for the most part, if they were making a living at racing, then they were busy. 
uh, going from week to week. I mean, they ran, you know, sometimes multiple times during the week. So that left them with working on their cars at all hours. Uh, and if you go back and look at a lot of them, they weren't all, you know, they were all relatively lean because I think that they were just having to work, you know, unusual amounts of hours and, you know, sweating and, and you're in the, and you're in the South, you, you know, it's very humid and you, you sweat profusely. So you lose weight, you know, water weight. And so I think I looked at that and, you know, you, you know, over the years, um, you know, obviously things have changed and, you know, you're, you know, you're working out more as the years have progressed, but it wasn't always that way. I mean, back then, like you said, we were, you know, the series was sponsored by RJ Reynolds, which was cigarettes. So, you know, there was a lot of smoke. It was a little tricky. A lot of free cigarettes being passed out and everybody was, you know, pretty much that's what they did and they drank and that's, you know, it comes from moonshine. So <laughs> pretty much that's the foundation. Foundation and, of racing. Of the racing sport. So, you know, you were going to have that. And I think that's well, that was your release and that was your way of relaxing and, you know, what little they got to do in that regard. But, uh, you know, I remember in the early days of racing, you know, you would go and then that was the camaraderie that was where everybody culminated together. And I remember going to, you know, Riverside and racing at Riverside, California and the holiday in there. And, you know, these guys, they are all after the hard day at the racetrack, they're all in the bar and they're all there and collecting. And that's where all the women were at. And that's where all the race fans were at. And, you know, you had like the guys of the era that were really becoming the, you know, the focal point, like Tim Richmond, who would come in and, you know, had room keys for all his, uh, you know, adoring fans. <laughs> and, you know, it just, it was a different world back then. And, you know, no social media, there's no really, no eyes upon you for the most part. And, you know, the drinking, the carousing, the jumping off the balconies into the pool, uh, those days. Well, I would call that party animal, babe. Yeah. Well, I guess that might be a little more party animal. <laughs> But. And the sexual health probably <laughs> it that, that that probably wasn't too good at that time either pre pre AIDS and and uh, use protection. Oh, the seventies and the eighties; those were good times, <laughs> <laughs> or not. Uh, but they, you know, again, it was it was a different you know a different time, and uh, and the sport itself was really just coming of age. You know, we really nineteen seventy nine the first real televised broadcast from Daytona, and then you know from there you know, ESPN. And, uh, there was just a lot of, um, you know, escalation in notoriety for the sport. And, you know, I was coming in there through the eighties and then obviously the, the nineties, uh, with, you know, days of thunder and, um, you know, a lot of network television and a lot of ancillary shows and things going on. So the focal point, you know, changed and a lot more eyes and people were viewing the sport and the ways you viewed the sport. And so, you know, you as a extension of a, a fortune 500 company changed a lot of things. So, so I, it started with the good old boys club. Everyone smoked, most everyone drank and that was the culture. But then as sponsors changed and the idea that that wasn't healthy. Of course, all of the, you know, Surgeon General's warnings coming out. Don't you think that NASCAR as a, as a whole wanted to portray a different picture? Well, I think that they were very, you know, fortunate that they had 
um, a company like RJ Reynolds, you know, which, you know, backed the sport. They were at the grassroots levels. I think they were doing so many things at the local levels and in all the little race series and things. And, you know, they were elevating obviously the brand, you know, the Winston brand, but they were, you know, gaining uh, a lot of attention and notoriety for the sport. But at the same time, you know, again, when you're starting to involve and see an influx of Fortune 500 companies and, you know, you have products and services that, you know, lend themselves to a more, you know, home or traditional or, you know, or, you know, family type things, then you become an extension of a company. And then, you know, again, the portrayal of all those things. I mean, up until I remember 1990 and when I won Daytona, we didn't even have a cell phone. So if you really look back and as it's a long time ago, but yet it's not that long ago, but we didn't have a cell phone. So, you know, again, it's just things change and they change rapidly. And, you know, I think for me, I never really wanted to drink, never liked the taste of it. I wanted to wear a suit and a tie. I wanted to be different. And so those are precedences that you set and each individual makes their mark, makes a change. And that just continues to drive you know, other people to do other things. And that's just the way the sport was evolving. Well, you were very, very different. Um, talking about what it was like, you know, co- going back, um, back to the 80s, um, you, you were surrounded by smokers, drinkers, you know, and you were in high school in the late 70s. So around a lot of drugs as well. And you always, you actually have never used drugs, correct? Never have. Um, you only drink wine occasionally and you've never smoked. So what in speaking to, you know, the youth of today and especially those that want to go to, you know, something in athletics or racing, how did you manage to not be pressured by peers and influence and, and just generationally um, not smoking or drinking or, or, you know, doing illegal drugs? It just, it comes down to a choice. I think, you know, you, you have things in your life or paths that you go and, you know, you, you know, you see your parents smoking all the time. And obviously, I mean, we were on our, you know, we leave the shop at 515, go get a bottle of R&R, rich and rare bourbon for dad and them and all the race guys to come in there and they'd sit there and bench race for hours on end. So I was around it all the time, but never liked the taste of it. Really had other things on my mind and that was to be the best race car driver I could be. And I felt like that, you know, I'd come up in sports and baseball and, you know, golf and you, I didn't ever want to be impaired. I didn't like being, you know, I didn't want to be doing anything that might undermine what I had in mind as my goal and my path. And so, you know, I just made a a, a choice. And I think a lot of it comes down to mind over matter. You, you have to make a choice and you have to stick with it. And it comes to commitment. And that's something I've always had. I've always had drive and commitment to what I wanted to do and belief in what the paths and the choices I made. So I uh, just chose to do that. I didn't drink any wine until I had a girlfriend in 2010, I think, and we went to Sonoma and drank wine. And and then on the way into the Kohler's with Starcom and we were eating tomahawks <laughs> and wine, you know, and having your, uh, you know, your Camus uh, and your Opus. Uh, so we were drinking as fine a wine as you can get. So yeah, uh, it's changed, but now, I mean, still I'm a one glass kind of guy most of the time and that's it. But I just, I just think it comes down to, you know, your own choices. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, leading into what is expected of drivers now, culture has changed. Now, 
kids are being groomed to get into a race car a lot earlier. And definitely the expectation of their health and fitness has changed. Well, the sport evolves. And I think you look at the level of of competition over the years. And, you know, you back in the early days in the 80s and the 90s, obviously, you know, it was very competitive and there was a lot of change coming. And, uh, you know, it was just a different era. And then, as we, we alluded to, I think that, you know, corporate involvement, you know, is, um, is key. And then the OEMs, uh, when you started having, you know, the, the Ford Motor Companies and the Chevrolets and now Toyota and you had Dodge, you know, you, you, and you have social media, you have a lot more eyes upon you. The expectations are higher and you were starting at an earlier age. So you think about, I mean, these days, kids are on a quad at three. They're running go-karts, you know, in the early, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. And they're in modifieds and midgets and things, you know, just shortly thereafter. I mean, you've got 14-year-old kids, you know, in Trans Am and 15-year-old kids. Then, and they're getting to the point of getting opportunities to showcase their potential in very high-level automobiles. The sport has evolved. Along with that comes the fact that every a lot more people are doing it, and now you have a lot more stiffer competition. So it becomes imperative that you stack pennies, that you do all the little things that are going to set yourself apart, hone your 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 skills, uh, you know, race craft, all the elements that make up a race car driver, what you do outside the race car, the way you look, the way you present yourself, what you eat. You are what you eat. You are what you, you know, don't drink or whatever. And, you know, you have to take all those things into consideration. Now we have a, like Toyota. And I've just obviously been, you know, had the opportunity to go see Toyota's new facility here in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is, you know, kind of like takes you back to the old days when I was at Ford Motor Company and you see the old buildings, the brick buildings and, you know, the high roofs and, you know, old like this is an old mill, you know, renovation and it's uh, got that same feel. And I love that feel. And here you got an assembly line for the Toyota GR86 race cars, which is a new series that um, is coming out that run with SRO and you know, six races, I think uh, six venues with like, uh, I think uh, 12 races. So two races a weekend, but we will have uh, factory cars and in uh, the GR86 Toyota program with young drivers. So we went over there to tour the facility and see the, you know, the assembly line of these GR86s out there. And that's the bottom floor. And then you go up a floor and you see this facility that is for the development drivers. All these young drivers are in there and they are all having access and having this resource at their disposal is absolutely incredible. Just to give you a few things about what I saw you walked out there in the first entrance there is just a bunch of cubicles and they have basically where they're interacting with people talking about how they represent themselves outside the car, how they speak, how they give a sound bite, how they do things, you know, from a, a perspective there from a media to represent their sponsors, work on their social media, um, you know, um, outlets, you know, how to maximize those things. 
Then you walk down the hall and you go into the actual workout room where they're actually, you know, there's all kinds of weight training and agility training and eye hand coordination things going on with trainers. Then there's simulators. They've got a room there with three simulators in there for them to go in and actually get on the racetracks themselves and work on the simulation and their racecraft. Then there's a room right next to that. They can work out that's, that's temperature control so they can have extreme heat to be doing it in to simulate, you know, what type of temperatures that they'll be racing within. Then back outside, you go down another hall and there's a media room, a media training room for videos and voiceover work and all kinds of soundbite things that you have to utilize at your, for your own, you know, use. Then they have a sports psychologist. They have a psychologist room there. You go in there. And so now the mental aspect becomes just as important as the physical aspects. So now you have the opportunity to get into the psyche of the race car drivers at a young age and try to, I think, somewhat curtail some of the things that drivers have gone through over the years. And for the most part, I think race car drivers are a bit, you know, um, you know, insecure, right? And they're only as good as their last race. So they have to deal with losing more than they win. So trying to explain that and, you know, let them understand how they deal with those things from a mental standpoint and the pressures now, the social media pressures, how you accept ridicule, how you accept, you know, you know, tempers and things flaring from other people and them having a platform and a soapbox to get on to ridicule what you're doing on a weekly basis or what you're not doing. So learning, teaching them all about how to deal with all the elements outside of the race car. Then they have walked them down the hall. They have an ice bath. They have a big tub for ice baths. And then you get out of that and go into a hot heat bath for your muscles. So then you walk into the next room and it's a food prep. They have a station there for as they're going through the day and they're working out. I mean, they're working out, I think, two and three times a day. I mean, it's like three, you know, like two days or three days, right? These guys are constantly at this place, right? So this is like, you know, um, spring training or winter training. And they're in there food prepping. They're getting you know, there's certain proteins and snacks and drinks and things that are right for them. And then they're food prepping for the rest of the week or they're, you know, so just trying to teach them all the things that you're trying to teach your people about from a health uh, aspect to be doing the right things for your body and being the best that you can be. And so, you know, here is a facility that these guys go to every day. All these women, I mean, there's, we got Tony Breidinger is there and Isabella um, is there. I mean, they're all there working out and, and learning all the aspects and getting everything worked on. I mean, mental, physical, you know, and it's, it's rewarding to see and to see the commitment that Toyota has put into this and, they're doing it now. I think it started with like four to six drivers and now there's 24 in there. And, you know, what a resource that these kids have today, something that we would never have had, had opportunities to do. I mean, I had to do it, you know, in a room that I had downstairs in my home on the lake and I had my own Nautilus system, you know, I tread, you know, machine. And I mean, you're lifting weights and doing all the things, but you're doing that on your own. You had to be accountable. And now this is a demand. I mean, basically if you're a development driver, you need to be there. And that's what the sports come to. That's where we're at. That's the level of commitment from, you know, the outside influences and, uh, and opportunities that these kids have. And I mean, that's why you see the, you know, I think the level of competitiveness, the intensity, uh, the people winning, wanting to win at any cost. I mean, it is a mindset and I think that's where you're at and there's pressure. And so now they're trying to be able to 
develop and work on all those levels. It's important. And I mean, it's really remarkable that it's gotten to this level. What an opportunity for these young kids to get this type of training on all levels. And I love how they're treating the entire athlete, especially the food aspect and the body, uh, the mental toughness, uh, the awareness, you know, as well as all of the other training that comes. But honestly, you think back to what made a NASCAR driver famous or gave him the opportunity to get to the highest, you know, to the cup level of the sport. And don't you think it really was how tough you were? Because there was no, you know, heat and cold training. You didn't have uh, cool suits. You didn't have helmet coolers. Even, you know, back when you were running the Bush series, when I first met you and we were running our own, you know, Xfinity program, you didn't even have those things that were actually readily available at the time. But back in the eighties and nineties, you could have the talent and make your way to those ranks. But don't you feel it was whether or not you were tough enough to withstand the pressure, the pain, the heat, you know, those type of things that's what gave you either your longevity in the sport or whether or not you had a quick departure in the sport. Back then, you know, if you look at, you know, there was not as much scrutiny. There was no rule, you know, I think no rules. There was no confines, restrictions. There was nobody making you do a baseline, uh, you know, test for, you know, concussions. Uh, There's no protocols for any of that. You didn't weren't demanded that you had to have a Hans on, you know, you were, you were as more grassroots. It was more about you going out and, um, driving the race car to whatever degree you had as far as, uh, you know, equipment and you, you drove hurt. You were afraid that somebody was going to take your ride. There was no commitment. There was no loyalty. And, you know, you were, you were willing to put your life on the line. That is what I thought really what the allure of the sport was for me and everybody else is because at that point in time, you, it took something to be a race car driver. I mean, you knew that those were concrete walls. We were going, you know, very fast at that period of time. I mean, where there was no restrictor plates, you was all you could make horsepower wise. You're coming down pit road with no, um, you know, speed limits. I mean, you and the pit crews, everybody was in danger. And I think, you know, it really, really was, uh, something to behold. And it meant something to be a race car driver. I mean, you think about formula one and they were hanging those guys out of trees and stuff. Right. So it really was a time when, you know, when you got hurt, you kept it to yourself. You didn't say anything. You dealt with broken ribs your own way. You would shave your chest. You would get taped up in your motor home, your motor coach, hotel room, whatever the case may be. And you get in the car and you suffer through it. And when, you know, your vision's not right or you've had a concussion, you know something's not right, but you just did it. And whether that's right or that's wrong, or how you want to believe it, that's what you did. And we've all done it. We've all got probably, you know, repercussions from it. And, you know, and there's a lot of guys that died because, you know, they, they pushed and they pushed and they were unfortunate. And that's what I, 
I don't know. I look back at those times and you think that some of those crashes that I've went through and all the things that I got broken up and how many aches and pains I have at this point in time, they're just reminders of how exciting and how much you put yourself through in those times. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's this day and age, it's different. Now there's protocols. Now, you know, I mean, the key buzzword right now in all sports is concussions. Everybody's getting them and they're not. And now they're trying to do preventative things. You know, first it was the Hans, you know, uh, and, you know, trying to make it safer in the cars and safety aspects and all these things and soft walls. Uh, so yeah, it just brings on change. And is it good for the drivers not to get hurt? Great for their young families and for their kids and all those things. Absolutely. It's great to see nobody losing their lives in racing, but at the same time, it's not what it used to be. It's not death defying any longer. No. Right. And, and going along with the, the point of, of health and fitness. So now, you know, talking about this wonderful facility that Toyota has done, and I'm sure other manufacturers will follow suit. So you can really build a race car driver. He can have an, an amount of talent, say he has mediocre talent, but you can build all these other things um, into him. Whereas before you, you pretty much, it was trial by fire. You know, you, you became either a good race car driver because you could withstand all of these other things or you didn't and, and you didn't make it. And of course, there's only 40 race car drivers in the cup series. And that is an elite group of people. So you think about how drivers can be, these young kids are getting recognized when they're in carts or they're in midgets and manufacturers are grooming them and then putting them in these protocols to to work out, to eat right, to uh, learn how to um, be the best driver they can with sim, and then be proficient outside the race car, as you say, with social media and all of this. So I've got two questions for you. The first one is the age-old question. Do you feel that race car drivers are athletes? That's been asked over and over again, you know, in comparison to other sports. And then secondly, how important is just raw God-given talent now that you have so many things that are afforded to a driver, if he does have backing, to build himself into a race car driver? The one thing about being uh, is, is a race car driver an athlete? We've, we've heard this so for so many years. And I think, you know, earlier in, uh, you know, the sport, there was a lot more attention put on that because, you know, of, of the background of the, of you know, where the guys come from and their ages. I mean, there are guys like Harry Gant who started later. Um, you know, and I think a majority of guys started later. I mean, I didn't touch a race car till I was 20 or 21. So I think, now, like you say, they're in quads at three and they're running carts and they're in, I mean, these kids, you know, like Brent Cruz is, you know, 14 in Trans Am and it's like, yeah, the whole dynamic has changed. But I, yes, I believe they were athletes. I think we were athletes then because I, I played baseball. I was an athlete. I knew what it took. Um, you know, driving a race car took a lot of different things. It took different, you know, things that of you. Uh, you know, guys that are very strong and can do so many different things, get in a race car and they get arm pump immediately simply because they don't know how to channel 
you know, the grip of the steering wheel or holding their breath or those types of things. And, you know, you're in extreme heat for, you know, four and a half, you know, hours, five hours on a 500 mile event. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, the level of differences in the sport, but they, they are. And I think more so if you look at it now, because of where things went to the levels of commitment from a physical standpoint with the likes of, you know, Jimmy Johnson and, you know, Mark Martin at an early age was went to a fitness deal, you know, the Jimmy McMurray's and, you know, there was just a lot of guys that have worked on that level and made it a point. And because they were at the highest level, they were looking for any way to make a difference. You know, you're talking about, you know, a lot of parity uh, week to week and the divisioning point of winning a race, you know, of you falling out of the seat or, you know, the last, that last hundred mile or that last, you know, hundred laps at Dover, when you hit the 400 lap mark at Dover and that place, and you have a car that's not really that, you know, you know, that's ha- handling that well, it starts to, you got to draw from within on that last hundred laps. That's why these guys don't like running 400 miles at Dover because that last hundred miles or whatever, or last hundred, you know, it's difficult. And, you know, you got to battle and you got to battle yourself. You got to battle your mind. You got to battle the heat. You got to battle the aches and pains and, you know, the mental focus that it takes to do that. Right. So yeah, this day and age, these guys are looking for every opportunity to have a leg up. And if that means that Toyota, the manufacturers or whatever, they can instill that in these kids at a young age and make them want and push themselves, then all the better because they're investing in these people. They're putting real dollars to this. So you go look at a facility like that and you realize how much commitment has been made and the opportunities now afforded to kids. So just goes to show you that now all the fathers and all the investors and all the people that are out there and the mentors, there is method to the madness. It can happen. And, you know, you just have to have the desire and the willingness to move forward on that path. You know, the second side of that, right? You know, the question you talk about, you know, is... Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I look at where things are at now and where they're going. Right. And I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to put, you know, answers, you know, to all of those questions. Well, the, the talent, I think, you know, kids either have it or they don't. And I think you can instill some things. You can teach a kid that might not have the best hand-eye coordination some more hand-eye coordination. You can teach him to withstand the heat. You can teach him to, uh, you can train him to have more upper body strength, right? And um, as you say, know how to grip the wheel so that you don't fatigue your arms right off the bat. But the talent part, how far is that going to carry you? It carried you all the way back in the day. Now, like you say, everything's very, very competitive. A lot more young kids have a lot more access to starting younger. And then if you have a backer, you have opportunities like, you know, this facility. So where do you feel that the the talent overrides your your opportunities? I think a race car driver, learning to be a race car driver, is you can learn. It comes down to repetition. So yes, I believe that you can make a race car driver out of somebody. I think it comes down to, again, a couple of different levels of commitment, desire, willingness. And then if they're afforded the opportunity to get seat time 
and repetitions, right? So yes, you can become a very proficient race car driver and you can become very proficient outside of the race car as well. And that's why a lot of these kids, they're so proficient at TikTok and Instagram and all the the outlets, you know, of social media, right? And they're drawing in sponsorship. They're, they're creating their own opportunities to fund their efforts. And that's another dynamic of it as well. And, but there always comes down to the level of proficiency. And I think that you always get to a point of there is that great race car driver. There's that really talented race car driver, the manipulator race car driver. Then there's the phenom. And that's the very last step that the great race car drivers and outstanding race car drivers and proficient race car drivers can't quite get to because there is that God-given talent, that one that has just something a little bit different, right? And can cover all the bases, you know. And it comes more effortlessly. And it comes, effortlessly. it comes more effortlessly. I think sometimes too, though, if you look at guys that, you know, are really talented at certain levels and they've, they've just outdone everybody at levels, right? You know, whether it's Silver Crown or, you know, or Midgets or World of Outlaws and, you know, Dirt Track. All the level, they've gotten to the points where they've, they've done everything you can do and they get to the highest levels and then it doesn't quite work out or they just don't quite seem to make the grade at the final step. Proficient, do well, but not to the level that it takes to be a stable fixture at the highest level and win championships, win races consistently, right? A lot of that can be twofold. A lot of that can be the amount of the level of equipment they're in, the amount of people, the level of people they have behind them, and the funding, and that's where it's gotten to today. And then you got guys that, you know, like you say, they're great when they're really, really young, and they're showing everything they're going, but it's in a vein that really is their forte. But then you have to go from road racing to oval racing, and you haven't done it, or you're not as good in the oval side of things. You've got to be well-rounded in this day and age. You have to be able to be, you know, good at the speedways, you know, focusing, understanding the air, seeing how that goes. You got to be good at road courses. You know, you have to have that savvy on the road course and manipulating a race car, you know, your race craft, right? And then you have to get out of the race car and you have to keep that sponsor there for the teams, right? So they can have the best people, hoard people, hoard, you know, all the best things, go to the wind tunnels, all the simulation, all the CFD modeling, all the things and the elements it's all kind of cost money. So you put yourself in the position to be able to procure that aid in that thing or be an extension of the company to help keep that money coming in so you can stay in that elite ride. The whole thing is vastly different. So, and that goes to Formula One all the way down to where we're at right now and into IMSA. You know, you got all these new series coming in and it just takes tons of money and they get all these OEMs involved and, and to get to those levels becomes increasingly more difficult. So that's why it takes more commitment and it has to start with the individual. And so that's where that will separate the boys and girls from the men and the women. Absolutely. And this is a good segue to some of the uh, principles that you are going to be discussing and something that we want to announce to listeners. 
we have been over the off season working on a website for race theory. Our webmasters almost got it complete. And on that webpage, we're going to have the podcast player, of course. We'll have affiliates. We'll have links to um, places we'd like you to go appreciate or maybe just products that we enjoy and uh, discounts and all kinds of freebies and prizes. But we are going to have Derek's latest accomplishment on there. Drum roll, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Derek's ebook. So he's going to be covering, well, I'll let him talk a little bit about it. Well, the ebook is really just a culmination of, you know, putting things down on what lessons maybe I have learned. You know, I think, you know, it's more about changing gears and being resilient over the years, but really talking about, you know, in the initial ebook, you know, a bit about really, you know, the things that are instilled in you and the reasons you make things and the paths you take and the choices you make and the things you learn. And the thing is how you understand what, you know, what people are about and what you derive from those people, everybody that you touch, it touches you. And so I'm just talking about a lot of the elements, the things that, you know, a young kid that comes from, you know, obscurity, you know, and was able to rise to, at a time when nobody else could make the transition, you know, to, you know, make a path uh, to NASCAR uh, and become a stable fixture there. And, you know, so it's just leads you just, it's just more about thought for, you know, fathers and mothers and, you know, investors and, you know, mentors and team owners and just the individuals themselves that listen, right. That, this is if they can take one or two things out of this, you know, you obviously find things that work for you and then you discard the things that don't, but hopefully there'll be some things in here that uh, will resonate with, with our listeners and, uh, you know, give some insight into what I think is, uh, could be possibly beneficial. Well, I'm really excited. Um, I have obviously been privy to some of the information that's going into that book. And, and I know that, people are going to get value whether or not you are uh, an athlete, a racer, a business person, an entrepreneur. Uh, anyone is going to be able to gather, you know, these. this is mainstream principles, but you've done it in a very creative way. So very excited to have y'all read this. And we will be making an announcement on Race Theory Podcast when that comes out. So watch for that as well as our social media platforms. But to end our episode today, um, kind of ending where we started off talking about New Year's resolutions, um, health, fitness, goals. I want to make sure that everyone knows that as a certified independent health and wellness coach, I would like to, and I rarely get an opportunity to, but since this is our health episode, I'm going to make an offer to all of our race theory listeners. If you reach out to us on any of the platforms or um, my email is healthcoachcope at gmail.com and to do an online health assessment for me, totally free. Um, and we can um, do a survey that just talks about whether or not you are um, a food or sugar addict as as well as go into more of a health assessment if you would like to lose weight or get healthy. And um, just for doing that with me, um, no obligation, you will receive a free limited edition Derek Cope uh, collectible. And then if you do end up joining, I am offering $100 off your first month. So the month of January, $100 off. And what's more, the month of February, the company is offering another 
$100 off. So stand to gain $200 off of this. And believe me, it has worked for hundreds of individuals and uh, personally, and I know that it could work for you. So would love to um, impact the world um, this year by making as many people as I touch as healthy as I can. So if that be your wish and your New Year's resolution, I'd love to hear from you. And just go ahead and um, reach out to us on any of our platforms. Use the hashtag race theory and receive these free gifts. Well, we are getting close and approaching 2023. And a lot of exciting things will be happening. Uh, the month of January is one of preparation and testing and getting ready for the upcoming season in racing, which you know we're going to bring to you here on Race Theory. And looking forward to that. Obviously, you know January uh, we'll be testing with Nitro at some racetracks, and then you know always the kickoff to Speed Weeks and the start of motorsports in general is with uh, IMSA and the Rolex Roar before the twenty four. Uh, which is in January 2021-22, and then that leads up to the Rolex 24, which is a 24-hour event, obviously an endurance race that I have ran in myself uh, and truly have a lot of respect and admiration for and love the event and looking forward to uh, to listening to what's going on with all of that and maybe even take a little ride down to Daytona. So uh, it's exciting times, uh, not far away. So, you know, with that, we just want to uh, thank you for uh, all that you've done and listening with uh, Race Theory. Hope you've enjoyed what's going on in 2022 and look forward to, you know, moving forward uh, with Race Theory and, you know, broadening our horizons and looking forward to what racing brings in uh, 2023. Absolutely. And we want to wish you all a very safe and happy new year. Happy new year from Race Theory. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope double zero and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.